Please turn with me to the passage that was read for us. Uh, so helpfully, 1 Peter and chapter 1. One Peter chapter one and the first nine verses of the passage. It's really good if you have that uh, passage open before you. Uh, I expect many of you uh, were quite glued to your sets, uh, television sets, watching uh, the Olympics uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, it all went so well, didn't it, for many of the athletes, and uh, uh, it was quite ama- amazing, really. But I thought, well, how do they keep going with so few people uh, in the stadia watching, uh, so few spectators, uh, and then with all the process of uh, isolation and the limitations of that, and uh, then some of them actually had to isolate, and uh, uh, some of them actually caught COVID and, and so on, and uh, uh, there were great pressures, weren't they? And then... The elements, intense heat, and then tropical storms, as well as uh, uh, boats getting in the way of boat races and things like that. Uh, it must have been so difficult. How did they go on? I remember uh, seeing interviewed uh, a Belgian 800-meter runner, runner uh, and she said that uh, the morning of her race, uh, her coach had to isolate. And she said that was like a punch in the face to her. Uh, and yet she ran well and ran uh, and won her race. How do they do those sort of things? They had a focus, a clear focus, uh, as they did their, their lives. Here were believers that Peter writes to who were under massive pressure. Uh, they, the Jews had been uh, dispersed from Rome and Roman cities, They'd fallen into disfavor. Sometimes they're in favor with emperors. Sometimes they're out of favor. Uh, There was a great dispersal. uh, And with that, Christian Jews had been dispersed. Uh, But at the same time, uh, as falling out of favor with Rome and the Roman emperor and the Roman authorities uh, as Jews, they were out of favor with their own people and being blamed by their own people uh, and singled out like that and... uh, it was pretty tough for them. It's a bit like the Myanmar believers, former Burma, uh, and uh, with stresses and uh, uh, protests that have happened in this country over the last uh, 18 months or so. Uh, and then the army and the uh, air force of that government, that regime, have targeted uh, Christian tribes, the Kachin tribe and the Karen tribe, uh, particularly, and uh, there they are in jungle areas, and they've been bombed and then uh, raided, uh, and they suffered immensely, and they've had to move from place to place, and it's been really hard, a real struggle for them. Or perhaps you can think of Christians at the moment in Afghanistan, uh, and there are Christians there, uh, and uh, there they are with all the uh, tremendous movement of people and, and the terror and the, the fear that uh, has descended upon them. What should they do? And uh, 
uh, and not only are they uh, fearing the Taliban, uh, but also there's, uh, there's animosity uh, and hatred uh, from amongst their own communities that they have to face if, if it's known that they are Christians. And uh, some of them, when they've uh, come to uh, Europe, uh, for instance, uh, they've even faced terrible persecution from their own communities, their own people, uh, because they're Christians. Well, that's what these people were suffering. And uh, that's the kind of situation that uh, Timothy is, Peter is writing to uh, with these believers. Now you may think, well, we've been under pressure as well. I don't know how you feel over the, about the last 18 months. Uh, there's a new word that came into common use from the uh, uh, newscasters uh, and from the politicians, uh, and we picked it up, haven't we, and learned that. We perhaps have never used it before. Unprecedented times. Do you remember that? It became, became quite a buzzword that they, they used. Uh, and uh, the pandemic caused suffering, didn't it, and, and restrictions, and uh, it was hard to cope with. Now, Peter wants them, and he wants us, not to be sucked down with cynicism or to grow weary uh, uh, from and give up. But he writes to these believers, and he wants them to have clear vision that enables them and I've got three things to share uh, they're tied together I think and they really give the focus of his whole letter so what I'd suggest you do that uh, you listen this morning but you also go home this afternoon or this evening and you, you read this whole letter right through and see how much uh, these things come out uh, in the whole letter Love, joy, and peace. They're simple things, aren't they? Love, joy, and peace. Things that it's very easy to remember. Uh, and uh, we can pick those out here in this passage. It'll help us. Uh, Peter wants to enable these believers to endure suffering with joy. To stand firm with confidence in God, with peace. And to grow in love for him and one another. Firstly then, joy. So here's what Peter says in, if you turn on to verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. So what is the in this that they are rejoicing in? You come back to verses 3 to 5, and you see the list of things that Peter has for them, that they, they are to rejoicing, reasons for rejoicing. Keep your focus, Peter says, on this as your source of joy. Focus on this source of joy. And uh, I've got three things that I can pick out here uh, from this passage. Praise be, he says, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. That's the first thing. New birth. Through Jesus Christ and through his resurrection from the dead. The same Power has to work in you and has brought you just as it brought to life again after his death. It has brought you to spiritual life, to new birth. 
And that's true of everyone who is a Christian. If you're a Christian, you've been born again. You've been born anew. You've experienced new birth. If you're not yet a Christian, that's what you need. You need to be born again. There was a man who came to Jesus one night uh, when Jesus was here on this earth. uh, And Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, well, how can that be? And Jesus explained to him, uh, like the verse that uh, uh, was shared with us earlier, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He explained how he, the Son of Man, would be raised up on the cross and looking to him, believing on him, is how that new birth would take place, a mystery. And yet he would... God would bring to life, make alive what was spiritually dead. All of us, uh, since the first man and the first woman on this earth, uh, and their sin against God, all of us are born in that state of being spiritually dead. You're born, you're alive, and yet you're spiritually dead. Inert as far as God is concerned, only he can make you alive. And Peter is writing to people who have been made alive. And they should be glad about that. God has done this in you. Be glad about it. New birth. That's the first thing. And the next thing is, have you got an inheritance coming your way? I wonder if uh, you're hoping for something. Uh, perhaps an aunt or some distant relative uh, and uh, something's going to come your way. We've got uh, mother-in-law has come to live with us uh, in our home in Leicester uh, and uh, she has a grandmother clock and I know that her two daughters eye up that grandmother clock. One of them has even thought, well, it would go into this space in my home where if it came my way, it's going to be an heirloom that's passed on from generation to generation. Who will get it? Which of the two daughters will get it? Well, we don't know yet. But uh, it's an inheritance. But what we have as Christians through the new birth, we've been brought into a living hope, uh, Peter says here. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just as surely as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, this hope is now yours, an inheritance. We haven't got it yet, we've got a promise. There's much that we have now already. We have new birth, we have a relationship with God through that. And we have his word, we have fellowship, we have service. Lots of things that we're blessed with. He's with us. But it's nothing compared to what is yet to come. You've got a living hope. If you're a Christian, you have an inheritance. And it's far surpassing anything down here on this earth. I wonder what you're hoping for, what you're looking forward to. Perhaps... You're going to have a little bit of a holiday this summer. Uh, perhaps you've had one. Perhaps uh, you're hoping for a new course to study. Perhaps you're hoping for a new job or something like that, a move. 
Who knows what it might be? There's a child on the way, isn't there? And, uh, well, who knows what, uh, uh, what we will have in the future? A living hope is far better than those things because ordinary things of life, they perish, spoil, and fade. A grandmother clock will get woodworm or dry rot or wet rot uh, the mechanism will stop working eventually and uh, uh, things will go wrong with it. Uh, it won't last forever. Perish, spoil and fade. But here Peter says, what you have stored up for you can never perish, spoil or fade. That's just incredible, isn't it? The best things that we hope for in this life might be uh, a special weekend, it might be a, a, a special celebration, a wedding or something like that, or it might be a birthday or it might be a holiday. There's always something that happens that, that spoils it. Have you noticed? There's always a tinge of disappointment. Somebody wasn't able to make it or, or it rained just at the wrong point or the food was off. I'm not talking about your barbecue that's coming up or anything like that, but uh, it happens. There's always something that disappoints in this life. But here's something that can never perish, spoil, or fade, Peter says. And he says it's reserved in heaven for you. It's as if it's got your name on. I wonder if that grandmother's clock, if we looked at the back, and uh, there might be a label on that uh, mother-in-law has written for this daughter or for that daughter. And there might be other items that she's written on. I don't know. But you know, this is reserved in heaven for you. That's a glorious thing. One other thing. Kept. Perseverance. Peter says, you are shielded. Who through faith, verse 5, are shielded by God's power. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? Because these believers might have thought, well, we're not really shielded, are we? We feel pretty exposed and it's been hard and it's been a struggle and here we are. We've had to leave our country. We've had to uh, lose our homes. Uh, We're now refugees. Uh, We've lost our jobs and here we are. We're trying to make a struggle to, to make ends meet now and we can't feed the family and so on. It's really hard. And yet Peter says, you're shielded. How is he keeping us? How is he shielding us? There's a part of you that none can touch. None can destroy. Nothing can affect. Nothing can take away. No one can harm. Is that which is inside. You're being kept inside. I read... uh, uh, the last couple of weeks, finished this this uh, this week, uh, an incredible book called "Defying Jihad." You can get hold of it, uh, buy it, and uh, and read it by Esther Ahmed. It tells of her story as a former Muslim in Pakistan and uh, all that she had to endure uh, and face. Uh, to try and turn her back uh, to Islam. And yet, in that, she knew that God was with her 
and was keeping her in that experience. That's what he does. Yeah, going through the trial, going through the suffering, going through the struggle. And here they were, these Christians were refugees and, uh, and uh, losing their belongings, losing uh, so much. And yet he was keeping them. That hope inside them that no one could ever take away and would be complete. Their salvation would be complete when Jesus returns who through faith are shielded by God's power, verse 5, until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. Here are reasons for rejoicing. Are you rejoicing this morning? Perhaps you're rejoicing that it's the end of lockdown and uh, things are a little bit freer. Great things uh, to be thankful for, aren't there? Much to uh, appreciate. Uh, And we're so privileged in this country with the vaccine and so on. But those things might be short-lived. We don't know what's going to happen, do we? There might be another virus or something like that that uh, comes. Uh, And things that we look to for our source of joy can so easily evaporate and come to nothing. But we can rejoice in this. Past, present, future, past, we've been born again In the present, we're being kept. In the future, we've got a glorious inheritance that is yet to come, that's guaranteed through what Christ has done. So Peter says, in this, you greatly rejoice. And that's the first thing. You've got a cause for for rejoicing. Focus on that cause for rejoicing. It's all bound up in what Jesus Christ has done for you. Second thing, peace. Here's a focus for the source of our peace. These trials that these believers went through were real. Various kinds of trials. You've had to suffer grief, anguish. It's a painful word, isn't it? Uh, They'd gone through the mill, and they were going through the mill, as Peter writes to them. You've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, verse 6. And then he talks about fires in, in verse 7. Refined by fire. It was a fiery trial that they were facing. It was really vicious. And they must have wondered, well, what is happening to us? So Peter says, you've got to hear a source of peace. Even in your pains, that God is working his purposes out. And Peter shows them something of these purposes. What is he doing? Firstly, he's proving your faith genuine. Verse 7, these have come so that your faith, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Have you heard of this expression, the acid test. It's a phrase we use, isn't it? But uh, a lot of us don't think for two seconds what it means. When a goldsmith, a jeweler, uh, was presented with, in, I don't know what they do these days, but uh, whether they still do this kind of test, presented with a, a metal, and uh, he wanted to be sure it was the real thing, it was real gold, pure gold, 
he would put it in, immerse it into nitric acid. And if it was not pure gold, the acid would attack it and dissolve it. If it was pure gold, it would stand the test. Here's what Peter is saying. That's what's happening with you. You're going through these trials. You're going through tough times. It's been a struggle, but God has a purpose in that. And he's proving that your faith is genuine. He's proving that you've got the real, the real thing. Uh, the, real, uh, uh, the real faith. Uh, a true faith. You know, Satan tempts us to fall, doesn't he? God tries us to show us that we're standing in him and in his strength alone. That's the first thing. And then to make our faith more precious. What's the most precious metal that's often used for security? Well, it's gold, isn't it? And Peter says this, that your faith of greater worth than gold. You think of the most precious thing in, this, in the whole of this life. And what you have in Jesus Christ, and if you're a Christian, you have that. And it's real. It's genuine. And it's of greater worth than even the most precious thing in this life. Even what all the wealth that Bill Gates has. If he hasn't got Christ, then he hasn't got what you've got, the wealth that you have as a Christian. You can be the poorest person on this planet and you have the greatest wealth if you have a real faith in Jesus Christ. Patrick Sikadeo, I remember hearing him speak once. He uh, runs Barnabas Fund, which helps Christians in persecuted countries. And I remember uh, hearing him speak and uh, he said that he once went to Chad to a very poor place uh, where there was terrible persecution and uh, stayed in a hut with a very poor family uh, and there was a lot of famine around and uh, he asked why there was a red cross on the top of the hut and uh, the man said well that's to identify us as a Christian family and therefore a target for the Air Force and then uh, every day the man would go out and uh, try and find some berries or find some nuts or find some roots in the ground, scratch around in the earth to find roots. And every day he went out, Patrick noticed that this man sang. Why do you sing as you go out? To try and scratch around and find some food. He said, I sing because my sins are forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven. I sing because of my sins are forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven. What an amazing thing, isn't it? Your faith of greater worth than gold. This man had virtually nothing. He had the most precious thing of all with faith in Jesus Christ. What do you need? You need faith in him, even a grain of it, that your faith of greater worth than gold and even that's been given to us from God. It's the gift of God. And then it brings glory to Jesus, verse 7. May result, or may be proved genuine, and may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's incredible, isn't it? What's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes again? There'll be praise and glory and honour. Who will get that praise, glory and honour? Will it be to us for having endured, having stood uh, the test and having uh, held on, uh, even though it's been tough and gone through such a struggle? Now, some of the commentators think that uh, it'll be praise, glory and honour that'll come to us, but I think it'll come to him. It'll be all to him. It'll... And any worth in us will reflect with praise, glory and honour to Jesus Christ when he comes again. I remember hearing of a, a goldsmith who was purifying gold and he would heat it up in the crucible and then scrape off the dross and remove the dross and then do it again. Heat it up again and remove the dross. Heat it up and remove the dross. How do you know, uh, he was asked, that you have pure gold? I'll know when I can see my face reflected in it. You know, when Jesus Christ allows us to go through trials, it's that he might see his face reflected in it. His beauty in us that brings praise and glory and honour to him when he comes again. Our death will glorify him. Jesus said, John said of, of Jesus that uh, when he spoke to Peter after the resurrection, uh, and uh, Peter asked, uh, what about him? And uh, John comments, by which death he would glorify God. Every kind of death glorifies God. Our lives do. And even our passing from this life brings glory to him. And so that will be the case. How, what peace we can know that can guard our hearts when we go through trials and struggles and difficulties in anxious times. When we cannot understand his hand we can trust his heart. I think Spurgeon said that. Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial, the dial of our lives, by the Son of Love. That love will keep us in the storms. And Peter says later on in this letter, you can cast all your anxieties, all your care on him, because he cares for you. Last focus, focus on Jesus and love him. Here's what Peter says in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter was a witness of Christ. And his sufferings, he tells us that in chapter 5. But he writes to Christians, these Jewish Christians who are scattered uh, from Rome and from other, uh, other Roman cities. They had not seen Jesus in the flesh. They had not had that privilege. And yet, he says, your hearts are aflame with love to him. 
You haven't seen him and yet you love him. And surely that applies then to us. And all of this then applies to us, doesn't it? Because we haven't seen Jesus Christ in the flesh. We haven't met him as yet. We will do one day. That will be glorious, won't it? But though we haven't seen him yet, we still love him. And why do we love him? Here's the first thing. Think of that verse that we heard earlier. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's why we love him. We love him because he first loved us. He loved us when we didn't love him. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We had no interest, uh, no knowledge of him, uh, no concern for him, no desire to go his ways, walk in his ways. And he loved us in our sinfulness. And Christ died for us. That he might grant us new birth, new life. How? It's as we believe in him, as we trust in him. So this is what Peter says, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. So faith and love are tied together. They're all linked together. This faith and love and peace and joy is all linked up here in this letter. And here we have faith linked with love. Uh, and the more we depend on him, the more we need him and realize how much we need him, the more we'll love him and cling to him. Part of our trouble, isn't it, is that we're so self-sufficient and self-reliant and we think we can do it all and we can manage it all and we can, we, we can earn, our, earn our crust of bread and we can get through life and uh, manage quite comfortably. So thank you. We don't need him. But we do. We need him more than we realize. And the more we realize how much we need him, the more we will love him. These believers were in great need and they really loved him, didn't they? Whom having not seen, you love him. And you know, loving Jesus fills our little hearts with brimming joy. Who likes McDonald's? I expect a lot of you like McDonald's. I like McDonald's sometimes. You've got to ration it out, but uh, in, in due measure, McDonald's is okay, fast food and so on. Before ever there was McDonald's, from 1934 in the United States, 1954 in the UK, there has been Wimpies. Anyone like Wimpies? I'll tell you what I like Wimpies for. Coca-Cola, no, Pepsi-Cola floats. Pepsi-Cola floats. A glass full of Pepsi-Cola, and then a blob of ice cream put in, and it sort of froths and foams, and it tastes delicious. There's nothing quite like it. Absolutely superb. Uh, uh, you should try it when you get home. You can put other things in Pepsi-Cola and so on and make even more things go f- pop and f- froth and things like that. But this is these two things together. Our faith and our love for Jesus coming together like this, they produce brimming joy. Joy that overflows. Joy that effervesces within. And I like these words, this expression that uh, uh, Peter uses here. You believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
I like the ESV of that. You rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. There's something about this joy that's above and beyond. There's no other joy like it in this life. Nothing else can make you so happy as your relationship with Jesus Christ. As he delights in you and you delight in him. Remember here reading the testimony of a, a man called Mr. Simons in Colville from a number of years ago, I think it was the 1800s. And uh, this poor man was in great pain and great suffering and he was at the end of his life. Uh, and uh, a man came to visit him and asked him, How are you, Mr. Simons? You know what this man said? All he had to lie on for his comfort was a straw bale. Think of that. No feather bed, not even a hospital bed. He was in a poor conditions and in great pain, great suffering, nearing his end. How are you, Mr. Simons? I wonder how you'd answer. Oh, pretty rough today. Do you know what he said? Glory. Glory. That's incredible, isn't it? That our hearts, even though our bodies are racked, our hearts can be filled with glory and inexpressible and glorious joy. Have you got that? Focusing on the love of Christ and the peace of God. Rejoicing in His work in you by His Spirit who raised Christ from the dead will give you an inexpressible and glorious joy even in the deepest trials and pains. And sometimes he'll lift you up and show that to you. He'll take you in his arms. Show you his delight in you. I remember a little while ago, I met a friend who had not seen for about 20 years. And my friend is six foot seven. That is some height, isn't it? We met in a playground. We were both grandfathers picking up grandchildren. And uh, he picked me up, clean off my little legs, right up in the air. I don't think I've been so high for a long time. Thankfully, he put me down. But it's a bit, he gave me such a warm hug uh, and such an expression of affection. Whisked me up right into the heights. And do you know, that's something of what God does for us sometimes. Just like a parent does to a child. He lifts us up. He shows us his love. And sets us down on our way. Do you know, where are you looking this morning? And lots of things can get you down, aren't there? Lots of struggles, lots of trials, and lots of, yeah, the pandemic's not over and things like that. And uh, you may have other struggles and difficulties going on in your life. And things might be pretty tough. Uh, and courses or studies or work or lack of work or whatever it might be. I don't know what your circumstances is. But here's what Peter says. You can find a source for joy 
in what he has done for you in Christ. New birth and inheritance. And he keeps you by the power of his Spirit. The peace of God that he's governing all things and working his purposes out even through your trials. Then you can rest in his love. And the love of Christ himself who's loved you with an amazing and immense, a measureless love. So much that he gave himself for you and holds you now and gives you inexpressible and glorious joy. Let me urge you today, focus on him and his great love and peace and his joy. And may you find what Peter describes here to be your portion through today and each day of your lives. Let's pray. Thank you, our Father, that we can come to you and look into your word and find such encouragement and strengthening and help for us in the nitty-gritty of our lives, whatever circumstances we're going through. And we'd ask, O Lord, that your word might dwell in our hearts with faith and with peace and with joy and love to our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, that we might respond and then live out our lives to the glory of your name each day as we trust you. In your name we ask it. Amen.